Welcome to the recording of the 2022 Northwest Expositor Seminar featuring John Mark Hicks. This year's seminar is entitled Christiformity, Entering into the Life of Jesus. This is Lesson 6, Jesus Sharing in Intimacy, Deep Friendships, recorded Tuesday, January 18th. Well, as I indicated before, that um, we wanted to spend our time here in session six. Jesus shaped by intimacy, or the need for deep friendships. And uh, I wanted to think about this from one angle um, first, and that is in terms of Christoformity. Right? Um, Did Jesus need deep friendships? Yes. Yes. To even raise the question, what did Jesus need? Yeah. <laughs> can be offensive to some people, mm-hmm. right? Oh, Jesus didn't need anything. You know, he's, he's all good. You know? um, and I think that that devalues or um, miscalculates the fundamental whole uh, claim that Jesus is human like we are human. That Jesus experienced the human condition in the way we experience the human condition. And we experience the human condition, sometimes we're lonely. You know? Sometimes uh, we're anxious. Sometimes we're a little concerned, right, about the future. Yeah. Uh, and I don't know that we can we can we can't psychoanalyze Jesus that's to be sure right uh, we don't know I can't even psychoanalyze myself yeah. most of the time you know, much less somebody else um, but I do think we can make the claim that as human he needed the sorts of relationships that humans have need and I think we see that um, um, that need or an example or an illustration of how Jesus met a human need by his relationship with Peter, James, and John. Now, again, we're on very dangerous ground here that we are generating, we, we come up with an abstract idea and then we go find the scripture to prove it, right? And that's a danger. And I don't, I don't want to participate in that, although I'm sure I do on many occasions. Um, but I do think that the way the Gospel of Mark highlights Peter, James, and John at significant moments in the life of Jesus tells us something about their relationship. Tells us something about the deep friendship that they share and particularly the sorts of things that Jesus shared with them that Jesus did not share with others. Part of being in a deep friendship means that I have some experiences with you that I don't have with other people. Or not many other people, let's put it that way. Uh, That I'm very intentional about uh, creating those experiences. I invite you to go to the ball game with me. You know, I invite you to my home to, to uh, 
share life with me in a particular way. Um, after my son died, um, I didn't grieve that very well. This was part of the complications of my event 13 years ago that, uh, that revealed to me through the input of friends that, that I had some missing holes in my spiritual life. And um, one of the things I did in trying to repair some of those holes and mend some of those pains and deal with my grief uh, is I recreated my son's funeral. No, not in the big building, you know, not with 500 people or whatever. Um, I chose six or seven friends and invited them to my house. We sat in my living room and we redid the funeral. It's, a, it's kind of in, in um, I think in psychology called psychodrama where you recreate the, psych, the psychosis, the, psych, the psyche, or you know, the, the, the emotional event. Because you see, I, I didn't cry during my son's funeral. I was so well defended in my emotions, so closed with my emotions. Because I knew the pain of loss, and I knew I didn't want to experience that again. I didn't want to feel that. And so I just put up some walls. Not necessarily intentionally, but just, you know, the, the kind of um, habits you develop and the sort of practices you engage in order to protect yourself from feeling stuff, from feeling hurt and feeling lost. And that's what workaholism was about. You know, it was, it was about, I don't have time to feel that. You know, I make myself busy enough that I don't feel it. It's a drug, it's just another drug, right? Um, so part of my repair work was to gather some friends, um, and that shared moment is, is a part of the experience of deep friendship with those people that I don't have with anybody else. You know, I don't have that with other people. And that shared experience then created or exhibited, if you go either way, it could create it or just reveal it, that uh, the, the kind of friendship we have. And that's the sort of thing I'm, I'm thinking about that, that Jesus did with Peter, James, and John. He selected them for whatever reason. We don't, get a, we don't get a lot of information about that, of course. But for whatever reason, he selected Peter, James, and John to have these particular experiences in which Jesus himself was revealing of himself. And on the handout, I've, I've given you the three texts in Mark, the Gospel of Mark. You can parallel Luke and Matthew and some of these. Uh, but Mark gives us uh, these three. Um, and, I, and I think about them as uh, building intimacy with people. How do I build intimacy with someone? Uh, whether that intimacy is at that three to five person kind of group, 
or whether it's deep friendships with, um, uh, with people because of shared experiences and people I'm willing to, to be intimate with, I'm willing to reveal myself to and talk about what's really going on the inside. Uh, and that might not be anybody in my church. It doesn't have to be anybody in my church. Uh, it's good if it is. It's nice if it is. But, but, you know, it doesn't have to be. We find these relationships where they are helpful and beneficial and healthy for us and uh, safe for us. You know? But if you look at these three texts, you know, hopefully you know these three stories. Oh, I'm using Luke and Mark here. Okay, all right. I, uh, I misspoke. I was thinking it was only Mark, but it's, I'm next to Luke and Mark. When they arrived at the house, Jesus wouldn't let anyone go in with him except Peter, John, James, and the little girl's father and mother. That's mother without the space. <laughs> uh, Luke eight fifty one. So what do you think is going on there? It's, just think about your knowledge of that story. Jairus' daughter, right? The, the events that surround that. Why take only Matt, take only Mark, Luke, and John? What what is what's happening in that moment? Do you think? How would you characterize that? Any ideas? Just shout them out. What do you think about? Well, just for starters, he before you even get to that, he, he puts the end to the public spectacle of it, yeah. Mm-hmm. right? Yeah. yeah. He moved it out of the public sphere. And, <coughs> and you know, excuse me, draws it back to uh, the family. Okay. All right. So he creates an intimate space. All right. <laughs> mother and father and Peter, James and John and himself. Okay. What else do you think about as you hear that text? What else comes to mind? They seem awfully task oriented to me. Uh, task oriented? Yeah. I mean he Who's takes talking? Oh, back here. He okay. takes Peter, James and John on all these things as a way of sort of mentoring them in tasks always struck me as interesting in that passage in John 12 where you know the Greeks come Mm. uh, and when Philip wants to get really close to Jesus who's he go to? He didn't go to Peter, James and John, he went to Andrew Mm. you know was, was Andrew the guy that Jesus was just going to hang out for an hour or two, maybe have a cold one with somebody. You know, was it Andrew? Yeah. I mean, there isn't any real task orientation there, whereas it seems like in all these experiences with Peter, James, and John, it's, it's a training hmm. uh, that then will be you know, expanded to the others through mm-hmm. Okay. That's possible. I mean, I, that, that certainly is a, is a way of certainly nothing inherently improbable about that. Um, 
Although I, I do think my reading of this is, is it's not so much task. Peter, James, and John don't do anything. They're not, Jesus is not teaching them how to raise people from the dead. You know? it, it's more, here, come, come with me. I want, you to, I want you to be with me in this sort of thing. Maybe. Yeah. Again, we don't want to read too much into this, and, and we want to be careful with how we handle it. They're an eyewitness to it. Yeah. They're an eyewitness to it. They're eyewitnesses, right? But why, why Peter, James, and John? You know, and why the consistency of Peter, James, and John? That that becomes part of the uh, thinking about it. But there's something about come and be with me while I do this. Um, share it with me. Watch it. Be there. Be present. And, and, all, and, that, and it doesn't seem to me it's about training them to raise the dead. It's, it's more about forming them in some sort of way. And that might be the question that would be difficult to answer. You know? Yeah. It strikes me that something like this has just happened to me like on the way up here. I got okay. a phone call that one of our members back home lost her daughter that day to a head-on car collision. Oh, my word. And um, I immediately thought of three different guys that I would like to go, for them to go visit this person, but I wasn't able to talk to them. Um, by the time I was able to call, um, I had heard all three of those guys had gone there and been with her. Oh, wow. You know? That's right. And those were the three guys. That That's kind of my informal mm. intimacy group. Mm. You know, we talk about these things together. So mm. it, it never was a planned thing, but we are intimate in the things that we share with one another. And okay. so it seems like it's sort of in the water, so to speak. You know, okay. When something comes up, they're the ones that go. Yeah. So. Okay. We probably, you know, all have experiences that we can connect with here, and um, see that kind of moment. I remember the the first time um, I, I I have a good friend um, in the 1980s. He was the preaching minister. He preached on Sunday mornings. I preached on Sunday night. That made him the preaching minister. Um, <laughs> Uh, I was 25, so he was, he was an older man. Uh, he was probably in his 50s at the time. Uh, still alive. Uh, but, uh, you know, he, he um, let's just say he couldn't, let's say his preaching style was not mine. And, um, uh, very difficult. But one of the gifts he had, and what I learned from him, is he took me into his, his world um, and showed and, and allowed me to experience with him some of these pastoral situations. Right? Like going to the home of a family <coughs> to be the first people to tell them their daughter had been killed in an accident. I mean, that, that happened with, with uh, my preacher and my preacher friend and I. And he invited me to come with him in that. You know? So it's and it became a bond between us, you know? That becomes a bond. When you share an experience like that, it becomes a bond that you can't have if you don't have the experience. You don't have the same bond. 
So I think that that's, that's sort of, there's something like that going on here with Jairus' daughter. Um, but I don't know that we can know, we can't know the fullness of what that meant for them. Yeah. It also seems, on the other end, it seems that he wouldn't let anybody else go in. So he had to, see, they were wanting to go in. So mm. he had to learn to say no oh, to some yeah. people. Learn to say no to some in that little group. You had to tell them, no, you can't be in my group. Yeah, yeah, that, that does create the dynamics of jealousy and envy and, you know, why them, not me, and, you know, all those dynamics. I wonder how Jesus had to deal with those kind of dynamics, you know, in terms of the closeness. Yeah, one of the things the Chosen does is it shows us kind of the internal uh, jealousies among the disciples that, you know, are not, are not really emphasized in, in Scripture. They're there. In some, but what the chosen does in a dramatic way is kind of explore those jealousies uh, and envies, and, and that's where you really have to be a fly on the wall and watch how Jesus handles some of that. <laughs> in, in terms of no, Thaddeus, you can't come. Just Peter, James, and John, and and then Thaddeus goes off and pouts. You know, um, who knows? You know, whatever Thaddeus might do. Look at the second one here. Jesus took Peter, James, John, and James uh, up on a mountain to pray, and as he was praying, the appearance of his face was transformed, and his clothes became dazzling white. Of course, this is the transfiguration. Right? So, what do you hear in that? Taking these three up to pray, and not the others. Why? What is it that happens with these three? What is it that um, uh, is experienced by these three in this moment, in this climactic moment, this significant moment, this moment of the revelation of the, uh, the future, of the future resurrection of Jesus, the future second coming of Jesus. Uh, remember, Jesus goes up on the mount to pray, and he goes up on the mount to pray after he had turned his face toward Jerusalem in chapter 9. Right. I think that's right. Am I remembering that wrong? Had he already turned his face to Jerusalem at this point? Or that, that's uh, chapter no, 9, verse 51. Yeah. That's at the end of chapter 9. Mm-hmm. It's after he had received the confession that he's the Messiah from the disciples. That's what I'm thinking of. Um, so he received the confession of the disciples. He's told them he's going to die. And then he goes up on the mountain. And he goes up on the mountain to pray. Maybe because, all right, he's starting to face this death experience. And he needs strength to face that, that death experience. Uh, he needs strength to complete the mission. Maybe he's facing some fear. Maybe he's facing some struggle. Maybe even anxiety. Who, know, who knows? We can't, you know, we don't know. You know we don't know. Um, but if we place ourselves in that situation and the reason he's going to pray and he takes these three with him, he's going to pray seemingly to find strength or to be strengthened. And he takes these three with him to be strengthened. It seems to me that's, that's a deep friendship there. You're taking the people. Uh, I guess you could say, well, he's taking the people who needed it most. You know, these are the, these are the bottom rung who needed the most help. I mean, that, you could guess you could go that way with it. 
but I think it's more, these are the people Jesus found strength in, um, for whatever reason. Yeah. Well, these intimacy relationships, I mean, does it necessarily need to go both ways? Yeah. I mean, you're saying, we're seeing it from the side of Jesus that he needed their, he needed their mm. trust and his, at times, maybe vulnerability or his experience or his, this, this moment of yeah. revealing his strength. Um, but perhaps they also were opening to him, too, as well. Mm. And he was knowing their... Because I think, you know, that's my question about the intimacy relationship because I have mentors that I have that I ask them, can I be intimate with you? Yeah. And they at times will show some of their own, but not completely the way I am to them. Yeah. And there are yeah. others that may be more mutual in that intimacy. Yeah. But perhaps, you know, why, I don't know, we don't know why these, and my mind just, explore, just expands a little bit to think, Perhaps he tried with some of his other stuff. We just don't have the accounts of all. Mm -hmm. We have a lot of attention on these three yeah. versus the activities of the other apostles. Yeah. And maybe they weren't quite as intimate or vulnerable. Yeah. But then, you know, then that makes me think, well, we have writings of these guys, Peter and James and John. Mm -hmm. You know, that became, that maybe they revealed that they were getting it, <laughs> perhaps. Or, But anyway, that, that I guess the, not so much a, question, but I guess the intimacy going both ways. Yeah. Um, not just one way. That's a good point. And I, I don't think we want to say intimacy relationships are always the same sort of thing. You know, we want to just kind of a cookie cutter kind of can't, I mean, this is too complex a relationship to cookie cut it, right? Yeah. And there can be times where a mentor and you are intimate, but and you recognize the mentorship that no, it's not a peer relationship, but, but it's still intimate. And it can still have a, uh, some sort of mutuality, right? It's not an authoritarian relationship. Uh, or it can be a peer relationship. So I think it can go both ways. Um, and it, I don't think we have to dictate this is the real one, you know. Um, but recognize, no, they're, they're just different ways of experiencing this intimacy. Between a husband and wife, that's a different way of experiencing intimacy, right? Than, than being with my guys on Saturday morning. You know, there's intimacy in both, but it's different. It's not the same sort of intimacy, but it, but it is intimacy in the sense that uh, shared feelings, shared life, shared, um, uh, shared secrets, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. Then this last one. Um, you know, I forgot where we're supposed to go to. Is that, we, yeah, we started at 325, so... Okay. 425, 430. Okay. All right. And then we have an, the announcement thing, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. From 4. Do we need to stop before 430? No, you're good. Well, we'll just go to I'm done. All right. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not here to give you a lot of filler, you know, let's just let's say. Uh, although my students complain, I never let them out early. Yeah. I, got too much, I got too much to say. I got too much to say. You're going to sit here and listen. <laughs> okay. Now this last one. I think this last one is the most telling in my, to my mind. Uh, Mark 14. He took Peter, James, and John with him, and he, deep, and he became deeply troubled and distressed. He told them, My soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. 
stay here and keep watch with me. Now, what do you hear in that? What is intimate about I need, that? I need you. There's, I need you. Jesus needing something. Yeah, I need you. Stay here with me. I, I, I need you to be with me, you know, in this. Yeah. Well, it's, it's also, it's confessional, right? Mm. Usually when we talk about confessional, we, we're talking about, like, I'm going to share my, my failures with yeah. you. But it's just the transparency aspect of it. It's yeah. like, hey, this is, I need to tell you what I'm, use the word feelings, what I'm experiencing, what my mm. world is, what my mm. turmoil, my strife, you know, because I, I can't be alone in this. Yeah, yeah, that's a, that's a good point. It, it, it's about uh, uh, revealing the, what's going on inside. I want you to see what's going on inside of me. Yeah, and he's not afraid to be open with them about right. that. You know, sometimes yeah. when you're in a position of, of obviously Jesus is leading these mm. men, but he's, he's not afraid to be vulnerable with them. Mm. He doesn't feel as though it undermines mm. their relationship, and that's, that's huge. The willingness to be vulnerable. Well, that, that's, that's critical. Yeah. The willingness to be vulnerable. To expose myself, you might say. To become naked in front of you. Um, you know, you, you, could, you could say he's a leader, he shouldn't show himself. You know, he shouldn't, he shouldn't show himself to, to Peter, James, and John that way. He needs to be strong, you know, and he needs to be decisive. And yet, what he says about what he's feeling uh, reveals what kind of feelings. What, 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 what do you hear? What feelings do you hear, if you want to call it? What, what is he revealing? Sadness. Sadness, okay. I'm feeling sad. Right? Sometimes we don't even want to do that. We don't even want to tell people we're feeling sad. You know? They think of we're weak if we tell them the truth about what we're feeling. They're going to think we're weak. Um, what else? Anything else? Sadness? Troubled. Troubled? Okay. Troubled. You know, I, I told you I'm going to go die, and I be, he began to be troubled, right? He be, this something's dawning on him. Something is arising in his experience and in his heart that says, oh, this is going to happen. Uh, and I, got, I need to tell somebody about that. Deeply troubled. Deeply troubled, right? Distressed. Yeah, distressed. Maybe anxious, even. Uh, and I need. I, I want to tell somebody about that. Maybe you need to tell somebody about that. I don't need to just sit on those feelings. I don't need to just suppress those feelings. Jesus models for us here a sense of revealing his inner life to the other, so that the other sees inside of him. And he's not afraid of doing that. He doesn't think that makes him a weaker person. He doesn't think that makes him less of a man uh, or less of a human being to, to reveal what's going on inside and to be honest about it. And then to express, to, to express the need and to ask for help. Asking for help. That is one of the hardest things people do is to ask for help. Right? Uh, especially among us... us um, uh, leader types to ask for help is to almost to admit failure, to admit weakness, to admit I don't know what I'm doing, um, and we can't be seen that way. 
But Jesus is willing to be seen in that. Somebody had their hand up over here. And, and, and then they went to sleep. <laughs> now you had to bring up the failure, right? Okay. Well, yeah, because yeah. he's had these intimate moments with right. them all along, and it gets to this point where he describes himself this way, mm-hmm. and at this point, they went to sleep. Yeah, yeah. You know? What was it that he was supposed to do this on his own mm-hmm. and not have someone there watching and and being part of it? I don't know. Yeah, the flesh is weak. The yeah. spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak right? yeah. in this context. So I think it's it's a failure on the part of the disciples. Um, that would be my opinion. Um, but what we learn something, though, about Jesus in that, right? When Jesus comes back and they're still asleep, he's disappointed. Would, would that be the right word? Would that be? I think so. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I asked you to be here with me. Yeah. So you ever been disappointed like that? You've asked somebody to be with you. You've asked someone to to help you. You've asked someone to to share life with you in a particular way, and it's unimportant to them, or they dismiss it, or they try but fail. Uh, what are those feelings we have about that? And how did Jesus handle that? He woke him up, <laughs> you know, but he went back to be alone. Then it happened again. Right? Was it three times? Right? You slinging something at me? <laughs> 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 oh, it's a bug. You're slinging a bug at me. Okay. It was no. monstrous. Oh, okay. I was deeply troubled. <laughs> <laughs> you were deeply troubled. Yeah. Okay. Why don't you go outside and pray about it? <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, so, you know, how does Jesus? Jesus works through that, right? He doesn't beat up on them. He doesn't say, well, I don't want you ever with me again. Right? I mean, Jesus, it gets worse, right? With, Peter, you know, with the disciples. Back here first. And then. I was wondering if there was uh, something in his vent. I mean, he was in agony. Did he protect them from seeing the true tragedy that he was at the the drops of blood, the, um, everything. That if you can just stay here, yeah, that's as close as I as I can have you be. Well, I, I mean, it's yeah. all wisdom, you know. Yeah, I hear that. That that I can I can see that uh, that there's some sense of well, I need to be alone. I, I got I got to be alone about this, but I want you here with me. I want you with me, but I want to, I need to be alone too. It's it's not an either or. It's it's like Moses. You know, was told to take some of the up the mountain. Yeah, the seventy they, elders up onto the mountain. So right. far, but yeah. maybe they didn't go far. You know. Yeah, Exodus twenty-four. Yeah, mm-hmm. if that if that's what you're talking about. Yeah. Um, Seems to me he did beat up on them. He well, says, couldn't you stay awake? I don't know the. He questioned them, but what's you think about? This is where it'd be great to have an inspired audio Bible. Right. <laughs> I would really like to have an inspired audio Bible because I would love to hear the tone of voice in which he said yes. that. Yeah, right. You know, did he say, "What are y'all sleeping for"? <laughs> or, or did he say, "Why, why are you sleeping? Couldn't have stayed for one hour." Yeah, you know. So. It's kind of like in, in, in Genesis 3 when God comes to Adam and said, 
Well, who told you you were naked? <laughs> or, or is it more like, who told you you were naked? You know? So, boy, tone of voice has a lot to do with it. And so how we read this, it's difficult. It's hard to know. Yeah. It's hard to know. You know how to do that, right? Do we have we have a hand here first? Yeah. Um, and this may have been kind of an act of compassion on Jesus' part to show them how to deal with extreme grief. Yeah, that's which would turn to God and pray really fervently. So it can also be a teaching moment because for sure. these are the two of these guys are the guys yeah. that are going to go in and see him get flogged yeah. and see him get humiliated and see mm-hmm. him. They see the worst. Some of the other guys may not needed to see. They mm-hmm. didn't. The other guys may not have needed this because they didn't see all that. Yeah. And these are also the two guys that are going to run, get up and run to the tomb. Yeah. And yeah. when they come back, they tell other people who believe them, kind of. Yeah. So these are also at least some of the guys that I think Jesus thought other people follow these guys, mm-hmm. Peter, James, and John. Yeah, that, uh, that certainly could factor that. into it. I like the compassionate idea of, I know these guys are going to really go through some nastiness mm. here. Yeah. So I'm going to show them how to turn to God and trust Him. Yeah, I, I wouldn't want to exclude any of that. I mean, those all those considerations could be a part of it, for, to be sure. Yeah. 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 Uh, oh, yeah. This will just take a few seconds. I'm not going to do anything big here. But, okay. Um, when Job's three friends heard about all the adversity that happened to him, each of them came from his home. They met together to go and sympathize with him and comfort him. When they looked from a distance, they could barely recognize him. They wept, and each man tore his robe and threw dust in the air and on his head. Then they sat on the ground with him seven days and nights, but no one spoke a word to him because they saw that his suffering was very intense. Mm. These sound like very good friends to me. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, something went <laughs> malicious to <laughs> all. They opened their mouths. <laughs> Joe didn't pick these friends. Yeah. Yeah. They picked him and Jesus. Yeah. I, I think there's some caution there. There's, you know, you're dealing with human beings who mm-hmm. aren't inherently trustworthy. Right. Yeah, I think you know when you're talking, when you're going to reveal intimate, when you're going to experience intimacy, you want safety. You want safety. You want to know these people love you. They care about you. They have your best interests at heart. And and I think um, you know the three friends of Job, a very important uh, text, a very important idea. These were good guys. They came to comfort him. They came to be with him. They came, They sat in silence for seven days. None of you have done that. Yeah, <laughs> but, you know. Um, but you know, this, these are good people. But when you have bad theology, it can make good people look horrible, right? And that's what happened to those three friends when they tried to think about their 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 own understanding of God and their own understanding of self and self-justification there's a reason you're getting pummeled and not us and, you know and that all that stuff the bad theology turned them into miserable comforters which is what Job called them right in chapter 16 you are miserable comforters you're really better. Uh, yeah. <laughs>
being honest with them. You, know, they, you want intimacy? I'm going to tell you like it is. You are miserable comforters. <laughs> Seems like, I feel like we're getting far afield here, but, you know, but hopefully it's all connecting. There was another hand up somewhere back here. Was there? Okay. All right, so I think... The, I'll just, more, I'll yeah. just say Go ahead. Quick. You know, on the disciples' part, um, and then, yeah. you know, they're overwhelmed and stressed out, too. Oh, for sure. You know? For sure. So and tired. It's after midnight. You know, I'm, their yeah. eyes are heavy. No good thing happens after midnight. <laughs> <laughs> they hadn't gotten to the point where they understood. Right. No, that's for you sure. Know, yeah. They were still in a fog, uh, according to that, until Jesus comes and makes it more plain to them. To yeah. To go on, and how did they feel afterwards when, right after that, the mob shows up? Mm. You know, they're going, "Oh, man, I missed the opportunity." Yeah, yeah. You know, and I felt that way. Yeah, you know? No, I think Here, we have to have some sympathy. Part and I missed it. We need to have some. We probably have some empathy with these disciples. Yes. Mm -hmm. But yeah, we've been there. We've done that. That's not. I, I know how that feels. You know, I have disappointed people that expected me to be there or wanted me to be there, and I wasn't able to be there or wasn't there for whatever reason. So yeah, you know, that's a part of the shared story we have mm -hmm. to see ourselves in this story. Sometimes we're Jesus in this story, where we need people to help us, and we need people to be with us and pray with us. And then sometimes we're the, the disciples in this story that we've been asked to be with. And how do we respond to that? And how do we um, engage that? And are we willing to be that vulnerable with people? Are we willing to, to let go of our secrets? Which I think is one of the main things about intimacy with people. Whether it's an intimacy in a group, like I have every Saturday, or whether it's an intimacy you have with four or five friends that you connect with regularly. You, I think it needs to be some kind of regular connection that you have that kind of conversation, you have that kind of, you're not just friends, where you talk about the Cowboy game or something, yeah. or the Seattle Seahawks, who were not in the playoffs. Watch <laughs> <laughs> out. <laughs> and the Cowboys are no longer in the playoffs. <laughs> in fact, the only, only one's going to win, right? I mean, that's ultimately true. But yeah, I mean, we, we need to have some kind of regularity where we can, we can talk about, be deep, have deep friendship, deep conversations, not just superficial conversations. And that's what's important about the intimacy, sort of. Yeah. Yeah. One of my most meaningful ex experiences being mentored by an elder is when he took me to this house that suffered a great loss. Hmm. Knocked on the door, opened it, and he just said, He came to weep with those who weep. Mm. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Very, very rings true. Rings true. Now, uh, did you have something? Yeah, yeah. I was going to say, uh, so there's a lot of times specific things come to my mind, like when Jim Hollinshed was on his deathbed. We went by his house, and um, it was it was going to be hours before he died, and there he was, and a lot of people were there, and um, 
Remember that, Bobby? Remember that night? It was early years. And uh, you, you came too. So. And um, I'm going to try to finish. The, uh, he, he died while we were there. And I remember the women just all fell down, wailing and crying, which was the more emotional, intelligent thing to do. Mm -hmm. And the men were saying, well, we need to do this now. We need to get him out of here. We need to call the, started tasking, you know, rather mm -hmm. than grieving, rather than crying. But, uh, I don't even know what I'm trying to say. <laughs> but but uh, 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 that's the way I want to die. Surrounded by people that love me and, and that will, uh, you know, mm. be with each other to comfort each other. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. I mean, those moments are are formative for us, something, and to have those and those kind of shared experiences we carry with us, and we are able to to relate to people at much deeper levels with that kind of shared experience. Um, so my particular intimacy group. Um, We meet every Saturday uh, when we're in, you know, if one of us is missing and one of us is missing. And, uh, so, like I wasn't there this Saturday, um, this past Saturday. But we gather and we begin with, with the serenity prayer and we end with the Lord's Prayer. And in between, we each take turns sharing our week. Sharing the good of our week, the struggles of our week sharing about our problems with lust that week or our problems with greed that week or whatever it is. You know, we each share about our week. It's that it gives us a moment to reflect on our week and to say, oh, here was, some, there was, here was the movement of God this week and, and here was my inadequate response and here was my, here's the secret I kept all week that I really need to tell somebody. Um, and uh, the intimacy group functions for me and for, for us as a group as a way of um, ensuring, maybe ensuring is not the right word, a way of um, opening up our lives so that secrets don't hover in our hearts. That we get rid of the secrets. Because the secrets are a cancer. And they will eat us up in one way or another. And those secrets, I know in my own experience, and, and this is what I think uh, is confirmed in psychology and other places, but you, you keep those secrets in your heart and they come out sideways. You know, they come out being irritable with your wife, being. Uh, having a temper with your kids, or, or whatever it is. It's not that the wife did or the spouse did something so bad. 
It's just that it irritated you because you were unsettled in your soul. And this is where solitude comes back into play as well. Because not only do we need the confession and the, the revealing, the opening up to each other uh, mutually, and in my setting, it's a mutual thing, um, but we need also that moment of transparency before God. Now, God's present in my meeting, you know. God shows up too, so God hears all that. Um, but there's also the need for me to find serenity and peace in my relationship with God. Because as Romans 5 said, if we stand in the grace of God, then we can boast in our sufferings. Because we can see the value, we can see something of the, of the meaning, we can understand that there's, that there's hope. If we stand in the grace of God, so if we are um, settled in our, if we have our security with God, if there's security in our relationship with God, and there's some depth there and some substance there, not just superficiality, that security and that stability in our heart gives us the freedom to reveal our secrets. Because we're already secure in the most important relationship. And we reveal them in a setting that's safe with people who love us, people who are showing the love of God to us. And so I'm revealing my secret not in a setting where somebody's going to be ashamed of me because I had that thought or I had that secret. But I'm revealing myself in a setting where people share the love of God, share the love that God has for me. And they will hear my secret hold me accountable to my secret and not shame me for it. Not judge me, but love me. But they also expect transformation. <laughs> you know? yeah. uh, that there's, there is that we expect each other. You know? And when I use the word expect, I can hear that pretty badly. That, that can be a bad sort of thing. Um, we are hopeful for transformation for each other. We work toward transformation rather than condemnation. And in that setting, I can tell you my secret, and I, I don't have any fear about that. I have no fear about that. It's like Psalm 112. Blessed is the, is the person. Uh, blessed is this righteous person. What is a righteous person who's secure in relationship with God has no fear of bad news? That's an astounding statement. Because a lot of, most, if not all of us, live with the fear of the next shoe dropping. That's a real fear. But if we're secure, where we, if we can, when we find security, as we find security, as we move deeper in solitude with God and in relationship with God, we have no fear of bad news. It's going to come. Bad news is going to come. And when it comes, I can share it with my intimacy group. And they will hear me. They will love me. And they will help me. And I will have my security in God so that the bad news won't destroy me. It won't destroy me. I'll feel sad. I'll feel hurt. I'll have all sorts of feelings. But I can reveal those feelings. 
and I can be affirmed by my brothers and sisters. I only have brothers in my intimacy group, uh, but I can be affirmed by them. Uh, and that's why that's important to me. And it's made all the difference in my workaholism and in my uh, whatever addictions and secrets I have. It's such a freedom to know every week I'm going to get together with these guys and be able to just tell it like it is, without fear, without shame. And it has helped me be intimate with my wife. I mean, I was so distorted emotionally that I didn't know how to be intimate. The, my, my therapist said, you have an intimacy disorder. And I said, oh. Well, what is that? <laughs> yeah, you know, I don't know what that is. You know, um, I remember the the first time I went into her, I mean, now layers of grief had done this to me, right? I mean, layers of grief that I didn't want to feel, and so I I learned how not to feel. I just learned how not to feel over the years. And there are cultural things and family things that help that, you know. But my, basically, it was my experiences of grief. And. Um, so my first time with this therapist, uh, she was the wife of a Baptist preacher, which meant I didn't trust her right off the start. <laughs> um, so the first day I'm there, you know, I, she says, uh, how you feeling? And I said, honestly, I don't even have a clue what you're talking about. Because you know, I, I decided I was going to be honest. and and. I'm going to come into this and work, and uh, they're workaholics. So, you, know. Um, you know, but um, at the end of the day, she's you know, after I, I think it was first two hour thing, but at the end she said, "Well, I have to, I have to say, you are one of the most well defended people I've ever met. <laughs> I had strong walls, well defended." Which means I had a hard time being intimate with my wife because I had walls. I had walls. And I credit not the therapy, although the therapy was really helpful, and other sorts of things that I did, and my spiritual practices, of course. But I credit my intimacy group with being, if not the thing, it's certainly one of the top, top aids in my recovery in my healing, the healing of my soul. And so I'm so grateful for that, and I'm glad to have opportunity to share it with you. And the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with us all. Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening to this recording from the 2022 Northwest Expositors Seminar. The Expositors Seminar is held each year at beautiful Camp Yamhill in Yamhill, Oregon. It's directed by Mark Johnson and Jay Hawkins. We'd like to express thanks to the Northwest Endowment Fund, which provides some funding for the Expositor Seminar each year. I'm Kevin Jensen, your recording host. Thanks for joining us for this lesson. We hope to see you at the Expositor Seminar next year. <laughs>